what is an act of God? Um, if, if when we study today on natural disasters, uh, I'm going to give you three different uh, ways that most people view natural disasters, whether it's tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis, um, earthquakes. Um, are they from God? Are they from the devil? Are the, is it Mother Nature? Uh, should we pray against them? Should we not pray? And looking through the Bible and studying what is uh, what how what how does this operate? I guess is the does a natural disaster? What is the source of the natural disaster? D.L. Moody said, "Work as if everything depended on you, and pray as if everything depended on God." I love that statement because we need to be zealous for what we're doing in our ministries and in our lives, but we also need complete, thorough dependence on God. And when we're praying, we're praying with faith, and we're, but we're also working hard. When we look in today, um, we talk about natural disasters and an act of God. Uh, most insurance agencies label a natural disaster as an act of God. So let's say you have uh, a hurricane comes through and, and knocks down your house. Well, the, the insurance companies will call that an act of God. And that's the, the title of this session as act of God. Is that right for insurance agencies to claim that if a tornado or a flood hit your neighborhood, well, that was God, that God did that. And I'm going to challenge you on that today because um, who are we blaming? That's the whole idea. Like if you imagine if there is a natural disaster, what is your response? Do you, do you blame God for these natural disasters or is there another force at work out there? Is it the devil or is it something else? Uh, and blame is a very powerful force that causes us to label someone or something and assigning responsibility for a fault or a wrong. So let's say that, uh, you know, tomorrow morning you're making your coffee, you look out the window and next thing you know, you see your car just blow up, you know, and you're, it's flowing through the air and you're like, oh man, I really like that car. I wonder who did that. And then you think to yourself, you know, I think the president of the United States just blew up my car. Um, are you going to vote for that president or is anyone else in your neighborhood going to vote for, for president, the president who just blew up your car? And a lot of people look at God that way. When something tragic happens, uh, we, we blame God for it, even subconsciously. Is this, was this really the Lord who did that? And if he did, then we, it makes us very awkward on how we approach God. So uh, we're going to go a little deeper today into some of the, the Hebraic thought and how the ancient Jews viewed natural disasters and how the Bible views natural disasters. But if, if we blame God for these tornadoes and tsunamis and earthquakes, I like to say this, when blame is established, if you can blame God, like that God's responsible for those things, then disconnection and distance occur because you're thinking, well, if God willed that tornado to come in and kill all those families, man, I don't know if I should have, how can I approach him, you know? And so we're gonna, we're gonna take a, a thorough look at every scripture that has anything to do with nature involved. And this will be, uh, I think, very helpful for you. Insurance agencies label a natural disaster as an act of God that describes an unusual, extraordinary, sudden, and unexpected manifestation of forces of nature which man cannot resist. That's the actual definition. So your insurance agency will tell you when a tree falls on your house, that was an act of God. Well, I'm going to deny that. I'm like, well, no, that wasn't an act of God. Because that's not what my God does. Um, when a natural 
disaster occurs, we're often inclined to discover who or what is the controlling force behind such an event. So the natural disaster happened. Who is to blame? What happened that you know this disaster took place? So I'm going to give you three different views that most people have. Some people believe it, it's God, it's Jesus who, it's a, it's the Father God or it's Jesus who is doing these natural disasters. Two, it's Satan who's at work um, stirring up tornadoes and earthquakes. He's the one doing that. Or three, Mother Nature. And um, through this course and through this session today, I'm going to tell you it's not one or two that I believe most of natural disasters are occurring, but it's actually something very similar to three. And this is, I want to take you through that this is a, a biblical understanding of what the Hebrews called the Adamah. It's a Hebrew word which means the ground, uh, the most influential force when it relates to natural disasters is not God or Satan, it's the Adamah. And we'll talk about that uh, in, as we get through the session. So I think this is a, a fascinating session that I, I can't wait to share this understanding with you. And I think that by the end of our teaching today, you'll go, oh, okay, that's why this scripture says this and this scripture says this. And hopefully by the end, you'll be able to see that there is a biblical understanding that it's not, it is not an act of God when a natural disaster happens. It's not Satan that causes these natural disasters, but it's actually the ground itself, something very similar that we could say to Mother Nature, I believe is a biblical idea. But I want to start off with, um, it seems, and Job here, the first one, again, I'm not saying that, that God never causes any natural disasters or Satan could not cause natural disasters. But um, and Job is a good example of Satan being the author of the natural disasters. Remember uh, when God, uh, when in the book of Job, when Job was being attacked by the enemy, uh, it says that while he was yet speaking, there came another and said, your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And behold, a great wind came across the wilderness, struck the four corners of the house, and it fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. So if you look into the book of Job, you see Satan went before the throne of God, and he just said, let me destroy Job. And the father, you know, the father said, again, we'll talk about this later, uh, in a courtroom, Job had no one to represent him, so Satan had legal right to afflict him. Um, but as a Christian today, you and I, we have legal rights we have a representative in the courtroom of heaven, so the enemy just can't go up to the courtroom of heaven and call disaster down upon us. But if we don't show up, then the enemy has rights to our lives, uh, and that's why that's the authority of prayer. We'll talk about that in a couple chapters ahead. But we see that there was a great wind. Satan got rights to go and destroy Job and take from him, not kill him, and so he used the great wind. So here we could say, okay, so natural disasters are from Satan. In this text, we could say this was probably from Satan. But I want to say that um, over, overall, um, I think there are other texts that we can look at too that show, no, wait a second, God was responsible. It says, And the earth opened up its mouth and swallowed them up and their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. So they and all that belonged to them went down alive in the Sheol, and the earth closed over them, and they perished from the midst of the assembly. So the story here is Korah rebelled against Moses, and then Moses separated from, from them. And then it says that the earth opened up, 
and uh, swallowed Korah. I mean, it was like, hey, there's going to be a church split here. And uh, <clears throat> two sides of the church split, and the earth opens up and swallows the other half. I mean, it's a great way to settle a problem. Um, but this, this verse talks about Yahweh actually caused that. The Father caused that. Um, <clears throat> so we saw two different times that once it was Satan that caused it, another time it was God himself that caused it. We see again in, in number 1635, when fire came out uh, from the Lord and consumed 250 men offering the incense. So we see that there are times when supernatural events can come from God himself and <clears throat> destroy um, people who are rebellious. It says uh, in Sodom and Gomorrah, then Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire from Yahweh out of heaven. So here we again, we see that God will sometimes use natural disasters to, uh, to, to bring destruction on those who are disobedient. And this is a, something we find throughout the Old Testament of the wrath of God being manifested in natural disasters, clearly seen here in Sodom and Gomorrah. <clears throat> Think also about the flood uh, and the drought. They were localized natural disasters to bring about the ultimate purposes of God. So we... We have um, the flood, which took time, uh, which took place in the time of Noah. Noah and his family got onto the ark, and they were protected in the ark. But a flood came and destroyed the the known world in the time of Noah. And also, um, it was not the drought. I'm thinking of well, it was the drought. The famine in time of Joseph also was used for God's purposes to bring um, to bring the family Joseph's family to Egypt and to fulfill the dreams that, uh, that Pharaoh had, and also God used those for those purposes. So there can be times where there are floods or natural disasters that I believe the Lord has his hand on, and he is using those very things. Um, the Bible tells us that in the times of Noah, the waters were on the face of the whole earth. Uh, also, we see that the Bible tells us that the times of Joseph, the famine was all over the face of the earth. Now, for some of you who, who believe and have been taught that the, the flood had to be a, a worldwide event, uh, I do not believe that scriptures teach us that, that the, the, the flood had to cover the entire world. Because if you use that logic, then you would, we would have to claim, too, that the famine also covered the whole, whole earth. But remember, when we look into the, um, the scriptures, the if the God used the famine and the flood to fulfill something very specific, and um, when we look at the famine, we know the famine wouldn't be necessarily for there to be a famine in the Antarctica, um, because that wouldn't have served God's purpose. The purpose was to bring uh, Joseph's family out of Israel into Egypt and um, to fulfill what was going on in a localized re uh, region. So in both those words, when it says that the flood floodwaters covered the face of the earth and the famine covered the face of the earth, um, both these natural disasters in the Hebrew phrase, uh, they use this word, the kol pani eretz, which means the face of the land. So I believe that the flood covered everything Noah can see. The, like when you're looking at someone, you can see their face, okay? And that's what I believe the flood covered the face. Everything Noah can see was covered by a flood, not necessarily the whole earth. Now, is, does, that, does, it, does it mean it's impossible that the floodwaters covered the whole earth? Uh, 
it's possible, but it's not necessary. The same way with the famine. It didn't have to cover the, it only covered a certain portion of the land that Joseph could see. And um, it's just the point that God worked through that natural disaster to bring about his purposes. Let's take a look in the in the New Testament, and we see another time when God is, is uh, it, there's a natural event that's happening, and how does Jesus respond? So we see in this story that uh, Jesus is on a boat with his disciples, and they're traveling in the Sea of Galilee, and it says this, a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. So here we have, there's this great windstorm that's happening, and Jesus is in the boat, but he's sleeping. So then the disciples, it says, when they woke him up, they responded to Jesus, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And this was something that uh, I think we often get scared in times of, you know, tornadoes, hurricanes, earthquakes. There's something that comes over us. Lord, are you going to do something? And so they, they wake Jesus up. And this is something that we see. But when they woke him up, it says, he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was great calm. So here's this, think of the situation. Here is a a natural disaster, a great wind that's blowing, causing chaos, and the disciples are fearful, so they wake Jesus up, and Jesus arises, and he rebukes the wind. Well, let me ask you this. If the wind was from God, then he would have been rebuking something that came from his Father, and that doesn't make sense. Um, do you believe it was Satan, then, that came forth with the wind to try to destroy the disciples? You know, again, there's a third option, I, I believe, here, because we see that Jesus spoke, peace, be still. And I think um, when, we, when we look at this, he then responds to the disciples. He said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? So it's the picture here that Jesus himself has authority over the winds. He has authority over nature. All right, and that's key. And But he he rebukes the disciples say, why didn't you, almost like, why did you wake me up? Why didn't you rebuke the wind? Why didn't you do something? So I think our response to natural disasters is to pray against those things that are bringing destruction and to declare peace, be still. So when you don't have to wonder, again, the goal of this is, is that we understand that these things are not necessarily, and most often not from the Lord himself and not from Satan, but it's an act of nature itself. It's an act of the ground that is, is releasing um, judgment upon the earth or natural disasters that we have been given authority to speak to, to, to declare and to bring calm to those things. Remember, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. So it's, it's a picture that the father is not sending a storm and then Jesus is rebuking something his father did. It would not make sense. And I want to go into uh, the deep, little more detail for what it means for this third option. And again, it's, it's similar to the way the, the Native Americans would have believed, that they, they had a belief about nature as if it was a mother and to care for it, and, and that there was, 
certain things that you um, did um, and where the American Indians or Native, uh, Native Americans, where they mistakenly, they began to worship nature. But I look at nature as, uh, as, as being in covenant with God himself. And I'm going to show you through the Bible how this operates, that the ground operates in covenant with God as, as almost like a living entity. It, it responds to, to covenant violation. It re responds to sin. And it's, it's fascinating. And we'll, we'll go through some of those scriptures so that you, you know that I'm just not pulling this stuff off Wikipedia or something. This is from the Bible. So when we look into the, the Hebrew, the word for man in Hebrew is Adam. And the word for ground in Hebrew is Adama. So in the, in the Hebrew, it's almost a pun that Adam came from the Adama. He came from the mud. And we can see that you know, even the chemical makeup of our bodies is very similar to dirt. And, but God breathed his life into us. He breathed his spirit, so we became a living being. So he took a bunch of mud, he formed it, kissed us, breathed into us, and we became alive. But the, the word Adam is the word for man, and Adam, the Adama is what comes, is the ground from which Adam comes. So um, this is something from the theological word, word book um, of, the, of the Bible. And this is a powerful uh, tool, uh, this describing what the Adama is. And it says this, the Adama was God's possession and Adam was to act as God's servant, obediently maintaining the divinely created and intended relationships vertically and horizontally. As long as this condition was sustained, God, God caused the Adama to give its fruitfulness or blessing to Adam. And I, that may be a little meaty quote, but it's the whole idea that as Adam took care of the ground, he lived on the ground, he was taken from the ground, as he was obedient to God and obedient to the to rules that, that God had given him, you know, every ruler has a right to give you a rule, and that's what God did. Uh, and as long as Adam was in obedience with the Father, the ground then would be would give Adam a blessing, would be fruitful to the, to him, and I'll show you how it happened. Because what happened when Adam? This is interesting. But when Adam violated God's rule and took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what happens to them? It says this: the resulting curse of Adam failing to maintain covenant with God began as the Lord God or God Yahweh banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So previous, previously to um, Adam sinning, it's like there wasn't this thing called toil in his work. He, he, he gladly took from the ground. I mean, it's not that he didn't work, but there wasn't what we call is, is, is fruitless labor, which is called toil. So suddenly, the, the Adam's relationship with the ground shifts, it switches. Something happens when Adam sins, and then it uh, creates this new relationship, not only with God and uh, with, with Adam and God, but also with Adam and the ground. And we can see this. It says the Adama or the ground created difficulty or toil for the man to harvest its fruit because of his disobedience. Part of the curse on Adam was by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. So before the ground freely gave Adam food, but now there was more difficulty Adam had to work with toil. And then we can see that when Adam's descendants 
the, at the murder, murder of Abel, uh, put Cain under a second curse. So, you know, Adam took from the tree of the knowledge of evil, good and evil, but then Cain killed Abel, and it says it put, it put Cain under another curse, one of greater severity than the curse put on Adam. The curse on Cain stated, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. So Adam sins, and he, he, the ground responds by making his work toilsome. But Cain commits murder, and the ground says, I'm not even giving you any more fruit. So again, the ground acts independently of God. It, it responds to God out of it d- dependent on how man is acting upon that ground. You know, and this is, a, this is something that will continue to show you um, how the ground interacts with man according to how he is responding to God himself. So uh, Yahweh says to Cain, the Adamah opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. And this is something that we see that it's it's interesting that that the the ground that Ad, the Adama received um, received the blood of of Abel, and it's crying out. The blood is crying out from the ground. It's a very powerful statement, and we can see that uh, after this happens, after Cain killed Abel, Yahweh said to him, "What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the Adama." So there's this there's this picture of Abel's blood, you know, crying out. What's it crying out? You know, judgment, um, uh, you know, punishment, um, wrath. That's what Abel's blood is crying out from the ground, and it's a picture that um, we see that the blood of Jesus is um, operating in a different way because uh, the Scripture tells us that there is a relationship between. God and the ground, and when we are operating in God's commandments, that the ground responds in the same way. Just like we need forgiveness, the ground needs to be healed. So we have another picture here in 2 Chronicles 7, 14. It says, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. So again, the scripture talks about the healing of the Adama or the healing of the land. As we do these four things, as we walk in humility, which means dependence on God, as we pray, as we seek the face of God, and as we repent, by doing these four things, the Bible says that our land will be healed. And we, we oftentimes don't talk about the land being healed but the ground is what we came from. We were formed from the ground. And if we can see biblically and understand how the ground relates to our lives, um, we'll have a better effective way to pray. We'll have a better understanding of how we ought to be praying when it comes to natural disasters. Um, because, you know, like you said, we, we talked earlier about the blood cries out from the ground. And when there's bloodshed on the ground, the land becomes defiled. And this is something that uh, we can read in the scriptures, how the land becomes defiled by uh, disobedience. And I love that, you know, the picture that we have is that, you know, the, the blood of Abel cried out from the ground, 
But we also see that the, the blood of Jesus speaks a better word. We read that, I, I believe it's in the book of Hebrews, that there's a better word that is spoken of the blood of Jesus, where the blood of Abel cried out, you know, judgment, um, wrath. The blood of Jesus is crying out from the ground, mercy. But again, it talks about that when we're disobedient to God, that the, that the land will be defiled and it will vomit you out as it vomited out the nations that were before you. Think about the land actually like vomiting. It's a, it's a you know, ugly picture, but why do we vomit? You know, our body vomits when something is unclean in us and it needs to come out. It's something that is defiling us. And yet Leviticus 18.28 tells us that the land will vomit us out. Now, it, it's interesting when you do aerial photos of, a, of, of the land, let's say after a tornado or a tsunami, uh, I want you to just take a look at this picture. When you look at that picture, it, it looks like the land just because of that natural disaster, it almost looks like, a, it looked like somebody vomited. You can do aerial pictures of after tornadoes or hurricanes, it literally looks like vomit. Are we really talking about vomit? Yeah, we are. Um, and so again, you know, the Lord says in Leviticus 20, 22, you shall keep all my statutes and all my ordinances and observe them so that the land which I bring you to settle in may not vomit you out. Again, the land is responding. Like the land will actually vomit because of the actions that are committed upon it. And that's why we're praying for our land to be healed because we could subject ourselves to natural disasters because of the way we either live for God or we're not living for God. When we're living in obedience, our ground will be blessed. Our ground will be fruitful. Uh, and if we're, but if we're not, then the land will actually vomit us out. I, I believe there was a, a series uh, by George Otis Jr. and he began to show what happened when regions came under the allegiance of the Lord Jesus Christ and how everything became fruitful in their land. And they had, you know, vegetables that were like carrots were like the size of, of, of their, you know, arms. I mean, they were huge. And you could see the difference in the land because of the obedience of the people. And this may mean a new concept for you, but it's a biblical concept and something that you should expect and even uh, believe for. Uh, let's say you're a farmer, you can believe that God wants to bless your crops. Um, but how important is this? Listen to this scripture in Leviticus 25, two and five. It says, when you enter the land, so Yahweh is saying to the Israelites, when you enter the land I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. And then he goes on to say, basically, you work the ground for six years, and on the seventh year, you let the land rest. It says, do not sow your fields or prune your vineyards. Do not reap what grows of itself or harvest the grapes of untended vines. The land is to have a year of rest. So God is actually instructing the Israelites to give the land a time of rest. And this is actually, uh, it's practiced by some farmers, but it, they do a lot of crop rotation. It's just wise to, to uh, let your ground, the ground replenish its nutrients, um, switch a crop every other year so that you know different crops need different nutrients. But there's, there's a, probably a powerful principle in just letting the land rest 
so that it can be the most fruitful for you. But, oh, it's, it's, is it a big deal? I mean, really? Like now we've got to let the land rest? I mean, think about the, the financial burden I'm under for that year. And think about, you know, the challenges it would be for the farmers back then. But God took very seriously how they responded to this act. And it says, listen to this. This is crazy. <laughs> In 2 Chronicles 36, 20, 21, he says, he carried into exile to Babylon the remnant, which he's talking about that the Israelites were actually banished from the land. And he says this, the land enjoyed its Sabbath rest until the time of desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. So think about how profound this is. Because the Israelites did not obey the Lord and letting the Sabbath, uh, giving their land a Sabbath rest, one year rest every seven years, it totaled up to 70 years of failed Sabbath rest. So God basically said, you can't come back into the, um, into the land. Uh, they were all you know, exiled into Babylon and they weren't allowed to come back and restore the temple until the land had rested for those 70 years, those 70 Sabbath years that the Israelites didn't practice. So is it important to God? I mean, you'd think, why did we get kicked out of the land? Well, witchcraft or idolatry or murder. No, we got kicked, we got kicked out of the land and we can't come back because of the Sabbaths we forgot, the, we didn't, well, we didn't forget, we disobeyed the Lord and failing to let the land rest. That's very fascinating right there. But I want to talk, um, and even in a, in a modern example, about what I believe was, is a violation um, on how the Lord responds to the world when they try to take away uh, the boundaries or the, uh, the boundaries of a, a land that uh, of a nation. And I believe this is a, a spiritual principle that we need to take very seriously to heart. So, you know, I am a person who votes, I believe the top three issues that uh, we look at when we vote are one, it's, it's life in the womb. I think life in general, it, life in the womb is sacred. I will vote only for a candidate that is pro-life. Uh, number two, uh, I believe that the covenant of marriage needs to be protected and honored. And I believe that we need to vote for a candidate that is pro-heterosexual <laughs> pro marriage between a man and a woman uh, is what God has ordained. I believe that's a major, uh, that's a major issue. Covenant issues are very vital to vote for that candidate. Number three is how they respond to the nation of Israel, I believe is is another major issue. And there's a satanic uh, idea right at, right now out there in the world of all these nations that they want to divide Israel. And this is prophesied in Psalm 135, verse 12. It says, let us invade Judah. Let us tear it apart and divide it among ourselves. We also read that Yahweh gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to his people Israel. So the first was from Isaiah 8, 6, and this one's from Psalm 135, 12. But God gave, gave like the nation of Israel their land. And what happens is, is God settles boundaries. He, he gives nations boundaries because without an established boundary line in our lives, we have no real sense of identity. And I know like people were very upset with uh, our president, Donald Trump, for 
deciding, hey, we need to build a wall. We need to have, and I again, I would just encourage, we need to build a, a, you know, a wall, but it also has gates. You know, we need to have gates around our nations. Um, a wall sounds a little bit too um, harsh, but we need to have gateways. And of course, you can't have gateways unless you have walls. So I think it would be better uh, terminology to say we need, America needs to have gateways, gateways that allow people, the right people into our nation. And, but let me tell you this, if we don't have any boundaries uh, as a nation, then we have no identity. If we have no identity, then we have no destiny. And I believe President Trump understood this and understands this. And so I believe it's important that we have established boundary lines so that we can have American identity, which is not you know, fascism. It's just saying we've got to have our identity. And if we have our identity, then we can fulfill our destiny. Previous administrations wanted to destroy those boundary lines. They want to um, take away uh, the American identity. And what happens if we have no identity as a country, then we have no destiny. And I believe America has a great destiny for her. We already been fulfilling that in so many ways and the enemy would love to steal that from us. So when we look um, into this, uh, we see this in Acts 17, 26, uh, that uh, it points out that nations that God has marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their land. So God himself set the boundary lines. He says this, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far away from any of us. So we, this is what you know. we believe. Even when we're praying, you know, if, you, if you're moving or praying for a, a new place to live, like this, the reason God places us where we are is so that people might reach out to him and find him. And it's the same way for a nation, that God establishes the boundaries of the nation and they must not be violated. And when we look at the nation of Israel, you know, the nation of Israel makes up one five hundredth portion of the entire landmass of the Middle East, yet even though they only have one five hundredth of the landmass, the many of the nations of the Arab nations around them want the Palestinian, uh, the Palestinians to come in and, and divide Israel so the Palestinians can get their land. And friend, if if I always say this, if the Arab nations who have um, 499th percent of mid the Middle East land, if the Palestinian is, nation is so important, why don't you give them some of your land instead of taken from Israel? And this is the danger that, that happens in a lot of very secular and liberal mindsets is they don't understand how God operates. And I want to show you just from history what happens. When boundaries are violated, destinies are placed in jeopardy. Destinies cannot be fulfilled when boundary lines are not identified. So again, if, if we mess with the boundary lines that God has established in the land on the Adama, we are, we are, we are then becoming in opposition with God and henceforth the Adama can rise up and, um, and react and respond. Because again, I believe the Adama, again, it's not a, a mother, but just like there's, you know, there's different kinds of life, it's a, it's, it can almost be seen as like a living organism that responds in positive ways and negative ways based on the behavior of, of its inhabitants. And I believe it's a biblical concept, which I just showed you how the Adama refused to give Adam, uh, made him toil for his food, refused to give Cain food. Again, it vomits out its, uh, the, the people on the land if, if there's failure to obey. So it's a concept that I believe we need to um, understand 
and respect. And let me tell you just a story from my own life. I remember back in August of 2003, and um, this was a, a very in, influential time because I remember we were we were getting ready to move, and I remember watching on TV. Uh, the the storyline was was what was going on in Israel at that time is the American uh, you know the 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 State Department in America was being very uh, forceful to Israel to the nation of Israel to the government of Israel to give up their land and uh, our our American president at that time George Bush and Condoleezza Rice were trying to make this peace deal. And one of the, the ways they were trying to make it happen was for Israel to give up their land. And I remember this was, I remember watching this on TV where the uh, Israels were like forced to almost by the Americans to go in and push out their settlers. And what happened was, uh, I said this in August, 2003, the actions of the American government to influence Israel to give up her land brought about a response of the Adama. I believe this. It's not just me who believes this, but uh, there was a, a rabbi, I will quote, from Israel. So at this very same moment, I remember watching this happen on TV. I remember watching the settlements, the bulldozers going in and bulldozing down these settlements that the Israelis had lived in so that the Palestinians could come in. And I remember in my heart, I go, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Don't do this. Like I was just, I knew that something bad was going to come about because they were doing this. And then within two or three days later, what do we have happen in America? We have Hurricane Katrina come slamming in to America, one of the most devastating natural disasters that had ever happened. Now you could say, you know, Pastor Chris, you're, you're making this stuff up. There's no way that what happened over in the Middle East could stir up a storm that would then bring devastation to America. And you can study this and read some of the rabbinical quotes, the quotes from rabbis in Israel who understand how the ground operates and how the world works. Uh, he, he quoted this. Um, he said that approximately 10,000 Jews were expelled from their homes in the Gaza Strip. America's population ratio to Israel is about 50 to 1. Approximately 500,000 Americans were displaced as a result of Katrina. So if you think about the ratio, the American government goes in and almost forces Israel to remove 10,000 Jews and demolish their home and expel them from their homes. And then within five days later, we have 500,000 Americans, 50 to one, uh, the same ratio amount of Americans then were displaced from their homes and their homes were destroyed. Coincidence? I don't think so, man. I think this is biblical uh, understanding of the Adama being ex uh, just being expressed and shown to us in in modern times that we don't mess with uh, with God's land. We we understand that when God establishes a boundary, He does not want us to violate it. And this uh, these quotes uh, you you can look online for the quote. Um, and again, you know when we have a better understanding of how the world works around us that when we, the insurance agencies like to call natural disasters, well, that was an act of God. I would say the majority of the time, it's actually an act of the Adama responding to how the lives of its inhabitants are being lived in accordance of whether they're in, in covenant with God, they're living for God, they're obeying his rules, or they're not. And what happens is, again, the Adama responds in a way. That's why Jesus could speak to the 
the Adama or the storm, and he could say, be still. He could speak to that way. And for us in our times of prayer, we should understand that we have been given authority to speak to the ground. We want to pray for healing in our land. We want to you know, humble ourselves and pray and seek his face and repent so that not only will our sins be forgiven, but our ground would be healed. So let's pray today. Father, we thank you. We come before you in the name of Jesus. We pray for the land of America, God. We pray for healing. We humble ourselves, God. We depend on you, Father, to come and to move and to bring revival and restoration to our land. Lord, we turn from our sins, the sins of, of abortion and, and hatred and murder and idolatry and, and the, the, the sexual sins that are being committed, the perversion that's being committed in our land. We ask you to forgive us, Lord, and we call upon you, Lord, that our land might be healed in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray, God, for everyone, Lord, within the sound of my voice, that they will have a greater understanding and a passion to understand what to do in times of natural disaster. And Father, I thank you for your word that guides and directs us and gives us the wisdom that we need in every situation. And I thank you for it, God, in Jesus' name. Hey guys, thanks again for being with me today for session six. Um, next, next session, we're gonna go into seeing Jesus as our lawyer, we're gonna have a better understanding of what it means to approach God with authority and boldness as we see heaven as the courtroom of heaven and get a better understanding of Jesus as our lawyer, us pleading for our case and going to the Father to receive the answers that we need as we come boldly with understanding and authority before his throne with faith. Again, thanks for being with us today. God bless you. Have a great, great day. God bless.